But tonight we're going to jump into a new series, and that's the family business. And let me just say, it, it feels good to be up here. I haven't been up here in a while, and it feels good to be up here. And, and so I'm excited to, to speak to you tonight. And um, tonight we're starting the family business. And over the month of May, we're going to have a lot of different things that we celebrate and that we cover. And tomorrow morning, we have our children's musical. And so the children are going to do the sermon tomorrow. And I would encourage you um, to be here and to support our kids. But we're going to be talking about the family business in the month of May. And so tonight, we're going to talk about the future. The future of the family business. When we talk about the family business, we're not talking about your personal family business. We're not talking about um, uh, any certain business other than the church and what we're called to do to build the kingdom. And so our family business as the church, as Access 502, as the people of Westchester Nazarene, is to build the family business, which is building the kingdom of God. And so I want to talk tonight about the future, and it's very appropriate that we sang the song Oceans and call me out into deeper waters where I'm uncomfortable and where I could sink or whatever, because we're going to be talking about uh, the younger people tonight, and we're going to be talking about that group called Millennials tonight. And, and honestly, I think most of us are probably in a place where that's, that's deeper waters. We don't understand that. And so tonight as we jump in, and by the, well, I'll get to that later. Uh, by the way, so I'll start off by saying this. I have a, a personal conflict, and it's kind of a big conflict inside of me, and, and that's this. I love sports. That doesn't seem like a conflict, does it? That's not the conflict. I love sports. Growing up, I, I played sports all the time. I was either in the gym shooting baskets, or when I was really young, I was out throwing the baseball and hitting the baseball. I grew up loving sports. I'm still a huge sports fan. Every day when you come in my house, sports will be on the TV. I will be watching it. We're in the middle of the NBA playoffs right now. We're in the middle of, of the baseball season, and, and fantasy baseball is going on, and I love sports. I'm passionate about it. I get excited about it. I love to talk about it. If you want to talk sports with me afterwards, let's talk sports. I love it. I love sports. Here's where the, the problem comes in. My kids don't love sports. And, and I've got four boys. And so you would think, that's perfect. A guy who really loves sports has four boys. That's perfect. I can play sports with them. I can talk sports with them. And I have this problem. My kids just don't really love sports. In fact, we're, we, we kind of talked the kids into playing baseball this year. And, and I talked a few weeks ago on, on a Sunday morning about trying to teach the kids to play baseball, but we're trying to get them to enjoy sports, and it just doesn't seem to be happening, if I could be honest with you. And I know they're young, but, um, but they just don't seem to want to go play sports. Our first game came around, um, I think, the week, last weekend, and the first game came around, and my kids, they don't want to go. I don't want to go to that game. I don't want to play. I don't want to play baseball today. And every day when they come home from school, I'm like, come on, let's go outside and throw the ball. It would be so much fun. You'll get better. And then when you go to the game, you'll actually hit the ball, or you're, you'll actually catch the ball, and that's fun. They, they're not really into it. I'm like begging my kids, like, hey, can we go outside and play catch? I want them to get into sports doesn't seem to be working. 
I've taken my kids to many Reds games when it's 95 degrees out and I don't want to carry kids in and out of baseball games. I've taken them because I want them to see baseball games. I've taken them all the way to Indianapolis to see Pacers games because I love basketball and I want them to love basketball. And, and they sit there and they don't pay a bit of attention. Seems like they may have, may have gotten Megan's jeans a little bit in the sports department. And I've taken them to UC basketball games. I've tried over and over again to get them into sports, but they just don't seem to be into it. And I thought if we practice more and they get better, then they'll really like it. But they don't get into it. Now, they're young and that could change, but I remember when I was in first grade, we lived over there on Whitehall Circle over by the old Lakota school. And in first grade, I had a friend named Ryan Betcher, and I would walk down the street almost every day. And I would go over to his house and we would get a bat and we'd get a ball and we would play baseball in the front yard in first grade. We would pitch to each other. We'd try to hit home runs, which meant we were hitting it over the street to the other side of the street. And we played baseball all the time. When I lived in Texas, I played um, basketball all the time. We had a hoop behind our house, and I would shoot baskets all the time. We had a big brick wall that was about six feet tall, and I would, I would take the tennis ball, and I would hit it back and forth off the wall because I wanted to get better at tennis, and the ball would go over the wall, and there was sticker patches everywhere, and I'd have to go over and get it, but I loved sports. When I was their age, I was playing sports all the time, but they just don't seem to be into it. One of my favorite memories was, was being a kid, our dad would take a baseball and he would throw it as high up in the air as he could, which to us was just like the moon and the stars. And we would run under it and we would catch it. And I loved that. And if I did that, my kids would run the other direction because they don't want to get hit by the ball. They want nothing to do with it. And I, I don't get it. I, I want that for my kids. I want them to love sports. I want them to be involved. I want to share that with them. But the truth of the matter is, at this point, my kids are just different than I was. They're just not into it. The other day, they went up the street to uh, their friend's house. There are a couple boys that are right around their ages that they go play with. And the, the kid's mom sent me a picture of all of them sitting at the kitchen table playing Minecraft on the iPad. And I just thought, what in the world? It's a beautiful day. You could be outside playing baseball. You could be outside, you know, wrestling, hurting each other, doing fun boy things. And, and you're sitting at the kitchen table playing Minecraft. They are just different than I used to be. That's not a new phenomenon, is it? I mean, you guys are all grown up. Did, if you have kids, did you think that when you were a parent? Did you think, man, these kids are just different than I was. Things are just different. It's a different time. I would imagine that my parents felt the same way. Even though I did go out and play sports, we had this cool new thing called Nintendo when I was a kid. And so we had limits on how much time I could spend on the Nintendo. I, I think it's just normal that generations change. I think it's normal that things change. And so as much as it drives me crazy, my kids live in a different time and are in a different place than I was when I was their age. There's also real change going on right now in the business world. Let's face it, the world is changing, and if you've read about the technological changes, it's changing faster and faster. And so if you haven't been living in a cave for the last few years, then you've probably heard this term used over and over again, and that's the term millennials. 
Millennials. How many of you have heard that term and heard it talked about and read articles about it and heard lectures about it? Millennials. Depending on where you find your definition, millennials make up the generation born between the early 80s and the late 90s to early 2000s. That's the millennials. And so really what identifies millennials is that they grew up in the age of technology, They had cell phones, they had internet, they had those sort of things as they grew up that that I didn't have when I was a kid. Actually, internet was pretty new somewhere in my childhood. I don't remember where it was. Oregon Trail on the computer and other things like that. But, But millennials are early 80s to late 90s, early 2000s. And so I'll just be really honest with you and tell you that I fall like right on the edge of millennialism, if that's a word. I'm right there at the beginning of the 80s, and so by some people's definition, I'm a millennial. By other people's, I'm not, and that kind of makes sense because in some ways, I, I totally relate with them, and in some ways, I'm totally different. And if there's one thing we could say about millennials, it's that they are different. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but they're different. They're different than the generations before them. They like to take pictures of their food, they like to take cameras with them to lunch. When, when John Jorgensen was here, like, what was that, two weeks ago? We went to eat with him after, and we went to Skyline, and the first thing he did is he pulled out his phone and started taking video of his food. And if you go to his vlog, you'll see that I actually kind of make jokes at him about the fact that he's taking pictures of his food. I'm, I'm, I'm famous. I'm on his vlog. Vlogging, that's another thing. John Jorgensen has a a vlog, a video blog. It used to just be blogging where you typed about your life. Now it's vlogging where every day he takes video of his day, his food, what he eats, what he's doing, driving in the car, and and shows it to the world around him. That's that's different than than I ever experienced. Um, Checking in places. It drives me nuts when I go to eat wings with a bunch of guys and then I get on Facebook and someone has checked me into a wings place so that the whole world knows where I'm eating dinner. That drives me nuts. But it's a different time. It's a different age. And, And listen, we could spend tons of time tonight talking about why millennials are the way they are and how they're different. And I I I make jokes, but trust me, millennials are awesome. And, and the more I study, the more I look at, and I would challenge you to just take some time and look at some YouTube videos, Google some articles that, that explain that generation and, and what's gotten them to where they are and what they bring to the table. Because the truth of the matter is, millennials are different, but they bring a lot to the table. They're unique and, and can do so many things that, that the older generations just weren't able to do in their day because they didn't have the same things. And so we could talk about the ways that they're different, but, but I'm not real worried about that tonight. I think just acknowledging that there's something different, acknowledging that the world is in a different place than it was 20, 30 years ago is an important step for us here tonight. We are living in a different place. And so we are facing change. We are facing something different. In fact, it seems like every week or every month, there's a new technology, there's a new change that we have to get used to. Change isn't fun, is it? It's not for me. And so I saw a TED Talk. How many of you know what a TED Talk is? 
Okay, it's a really smart person talking about something really smart. That's what a TED Talk is. They're usually pretty good. And I watched a TED Talk about change. It was by a guy named Mike Alonzo, and it was called Adapt or Die. And so he had four phases that we go through when it comes to change. And so his phases are this. Number one, ignorance. So we've been talking about technology, and, and let's just, I'll be honest with you and say that usually when changes happen, I'm not on the cutting edge of change. Usually I'm a little bit ignorant to what changes are happening. I have no clue what the most popular apps are right now. I have no clue what's going on. I'm still working on Facebook and not doing it very well, but I, I am ignorant of the changes that are happening in technology and in the world at times. And so the first phase is we, we're not seeing it or we're ignoring the change. The second phase, he says, is resistance. And so it makes me think of there used to be families in this church when cell phones became an everyday thing and everybody had cell phones and everyone's kids had cell phones. There was actually a group that had a contest to see who could be the last group, the last family to get cell phones. And I feel like our, my family is pretty good at resisting change because usually we're about 10 years behind the times. When everyone else has cell phones and internet and high-speed internet and all that, it took us a little bit longer to get those things. And so there's resistance. There's, I know change is happening, but you know what? I don't like that change, and it's for the birds, so forget about it. And so we resist it. The third phase is this. Oh, I had to get this in there, because Adam makes fun of me all the time. Every day I'm sitting there on my phone, as, as most of us are, and my phone will freeze up or lock up. And I say something like, Adam, my phone is doing it again. And he says, that's because you've got an iPhone 4, man. Get the newest technology. And I don't have an iPhone 4. I have an iPhone 5, but we're on like 7 now, right? And so I typically resist change. I hate the idea that I've got, the, I've got to buy the new Apple product every time it comes out. I hate that. I can resist it all I want. The, the next step is acceptance. And that's this. I need to accept that if I don't get the newer phones that Apple is putting out or whoever is putting out, my phone is not going to work very well. My phone is going to freeze up when I get to the drive through line, and I'm going to have to sit there not knowing my family's order and looking silly. And so the next step is accepting. I understand that change is happening. I see what it is. It is what it is. It's not going away, so I'm going to accept it, which leads me to the fourth thing, and that's adapting. That's changing. That's learning to live in the change. That's learning to operate in the change. And so I say all of this to get us here. When we face future generations, they will not look the same way that our generations looked. In fact, there's a whole other generation coming behind the millennials that we're going to have to learn and we're going to have to adapt to. We're going to have to figure out who they are and what happens. And so I, I say all that to say this. As we move forward, future generations will not look the same way that we looked. They will not act the same way that we acted. We are living in a changing world, and we are living in different culture than we grew up in. We can see examples of this in the business world. There are some companies who have missed the change. They saw the internet, they saw technology, and they said, yeah, that's just a passing fad, that's not going to happen. But how many of you have done ClickList at Kroger? Anyone? Oh, man, you guys are missing it. 
You get on the computer and you pay $5 and you order all your groceries on the computer and then you just pull in a parking spot and they bring your groceries and put them in your car for you. It's incredible. It's easy. It's the internet. How many of you have done Amazon Prime? Okay, they, you can get on the computer and they will deliver groceries to your door. It's incredible. We've started doing this. We're, we're getting there. We're, we're getting caught up. Oh, all right, how many of you have bought tickets to something online? Okay, how many of you do giving online? How many of you do something? We're getting there. It, the world is changing. The change is here to stay. And so just the other day, I was reading an article about, about Sears and some other retail giants that are going under right now because they haven't changed with the changing culture. Sears started in catalogs, and then they got really big into retail and credit. And I don't know how their credit division's doing, but their retail stores are not doing well, and they're going out of business. There used to be one right across the street over there, and it's gone. And Sears is struggling because the way that people shop is changing. Not just online, but the way people shop is changing. And if they don't change or adapt, they struggle. Now, the, the way people shop is changing. On the other hand, we see a couple companies that are embracing the change and learning to live, adapting to live effectively and operate effectively in the changing culture. And so I want to talk to you about two of those. Have any of you ever owned a pair of Toms? Okay, all right, a few of you. My wife has owned several pair of Toms. Toms is a company that is all about the cause that they represent. Now, they're about money too but they're about the cause they represent. Tom's company says that every pair of shoes that you buy, they will buy a pair of shoes and send it to a child in the world that doesn't have shoes and has needs. And here's the brilliance of that. Millennials that we were talking about, younger people, want to be involved in changing the world. They want to be involved in a cause. And so Tom's figured out that if they can partner with millennials to change the world, They'll do well. And guess what? Multi-million dollar company selling shoes that are very, very plain. I mean, they just, they're just canvas shoes. But people love it. Another one is Uber. How many of you have taken an Uber before? i got to put my hand down. I haven't taken an Uber before. Uber has capitalized. I see your hand, Brian. <laughs> um, Uber has capitalized on the fact on who millennials are. Millennials just don't care about cars like we used to. I have two friends that are young adults that are in that millennial age group. One of them is my cousin. And like two years ago, I ran into her car. And like six months later, she still hadn't gotten it fixed because she just doesn't care. She doesn't want to mess with it. It's just a car. Who cares? If you run into my car, I want to get it fixed. I got to drive it every day. My, my other friend was looking for a car, so I went car shopping with him, and I was all excited because he could get the newest, coolest car, and, and I'm not going to tell you what he bought because I don't want to offend some of you that may drive one like it, but when he bought his car, I was just like, seriously, man? Like, you're a 20-something, and that's what you're going to drive? They don't care about their cars, and so Uber figured that out and began this ride-sharing idea. So if you want an Uber, you call or you get online and do whatever, and they send somebody to pick you up and take you somewhere. And millennials love that because they love to share experiences. They love to partner together, and they don't care about owning cars. And now there's a thing called Uber Kittens, which is just ridiculous sounding, isn't it? And Uber Kittens is where if you're in certain cities of the country, on certain days of the year, 
you can pay $30 for 15 minutes of snuggling with kittens. And so if, in, if you're in New York City and your office wants to do Uber kittens, you can send Uber, wh- however they do it, I don't know, I'm sorry, I should be more with it, but that you, you tell Uber you want to do it, and they will send a group of kittens to come play in your office for 15 minutes. And, and the, the really interesting part of this is that then you have the option, if you want, to adopt those kittens. And so Uber has figured out it's not just about rides now, it's about experiences. It's about partnering together to do something awesome. And the money that is given to Uber kittens goes to guess what? Shelters that take care of kittens. They've figured out who millennials are, they've adapted, and they're thriving. Businesses are quickly figuring out that if they don't get on board with the changing technology and, and with the millennial generation, they won't make it. And so here's just a couple crazy stats for you. The millennial generation is a $3 trillion spending segment in our culture. $3 trillion. The other one that's crazy is that within the next decade, millennials will make up 75% of the workforce. And so if you're just thinking along with with what I'm telling you, if we don't get on board with with who these millennials are, we're going to be lost pretty soon. And so ignorance and resistance to them will only lead to difficulty, struggle, and if you're like Sears or some other places, maybe the end. And so the church is no different. And so let me start our scripture by saying this. If we are not able to effectively reach the next generations for Christ, then we will face very difficult times ahead. Just like the companies that have missed it, that thought it was a fad, that thought it was change. I've got something to tell you tonight. Young people are not going to magically turn into the old people of the old generation that did things differently. The technological age is here to change, and so if we are not able to effectively reach the next generations for Christ, then we will face difficult times ahead. And this is nothing new. Generations have always looked different. The world has always changed and looked different. This was a problem in the early days of Scripture, and so we're going to jump into Judges chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 here, and it says this. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Harris in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. And so we see right here in Judges 2, 6 through 7, we see that Joshua, who was the successor to Moses, who had led the people all the way to the edge of the promised land, and Joshua took over and led the people into the promised land, into the land of Canaan, and God had done amazing things. They went, they took possession of the land that God had promised them. God did miracles. God delivered enemies into their hands. And it says the people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him, who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel, were serving the Lord. And so what we see in the scripture is that everything's great. 
The Israelites and Joshua have done exactly what they should do. They'd been faithful to the Lord. They trusted the Lord, and the Lord led them into the promised land, and everything was great. But, but, but then we read on in verse 10, and it says this, After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord and the, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and, and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and Ashtoreth. In, the, in his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel would go out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. And so a second ago, we talked about Joshua and how everything was great. Joshua was faithful. Joshua did what he needed to do to lead the people into the promised land, and everything was what it should be. Joshua had built what needed to be built. Joshua had been faithful, but the next generation grew up and did not know who God was or what God had done for Joshua and his fellow Israelites. And so when we see this, this great generation, we see they built something great, they followed God, they missed something really important, and that's this. They failed to accomplish one of the most important things that they needed to accomplish, and that's this. To pass their passion, if you're familiar with this, this is our church's vision, to pass their passion to the future generations. And so they had built amazing things, but they failed to teach their children, failed to teach the next generations. And what was the result? At the end of verse 15, it says, they were in great distress. So all they had built, all they had done, all that God had done to lead them into the promised land, and they had built this, this great thing that Israel had, and all of a sudden, the next generation grew up and had no clue what that was all about, and messed up, and they were in great distress distress. This story is really important to us tonight because all of the work that we do here in the church, all of the work that we do for the kingdom is good stuff. We can build big churches and we can go out and reach people and we can do great things. We can serve people and take people food with meet the need and we can do all these amazing things and we can build this amazing thing. But if we neglect to teach the next generation who God is and what God has done, we're missing a huge piece. We're missing part of God's calling. And, and, so, and many churches are facing this right now. And if we miss that, there are hard times ahead for the church and for our families, for all of the stuff that we've poured our lives into. Now, I don't want you to get me wrong here. I'm not saying that God's kingdom is going to be ruined if we don't teach our kids. God's kingdom is going to be okay. It was in the Old Testament. It was when Joshua and his generation messed it up, and it will be today. But we will face difficult times. Our church and our families will face difficult times if we do not teach the, the future generations who God is and what God has done. And so the first thing we need to understand about our family business is this. 
If we don't invest in future generations, we're going to struggle ahead. So how do we do this? Well, I want to talk about some really practical ways that we can do this. And so I've got four things that we can do to teach and reach the next generation. And and listen, I want to say this. We are just scratching the surface here tonight. I do not have time to to go over all of the things that we can do. And I, I, I have loved over the last couple weeks looking at videos about the next generations, looking at videos about how they're different and how we can teach them and what we can do. It's amazing stuff. So we're just going to scratch the surface tonight, but I want to I challenge you to look deeper into this. And so here are four things we can do. Number one, share the stories of what God has done. Share the stories. We can't hold what God has done in our lives and in our churches to ourselves. We can't sit around and celebrate all the things that God has done and forget to tell the future generations about it. We love to tell stories about the glory days, about our high school basketball and football accomplishments and how we met as couples and and all of the, what kind of car we drove. We can't miss out on telling the story of what God has done for us and the church to our children. We have to tell the story. When I was in college at Trevecca Nazarene University in Nashville, one of my favorite times in my time at college were, were two times. The first time was when I got to take a senior uh, class with Millard Reed, who at the time was the president of of Trevecca Nazarene University. And I got to sit there and hear Millard Reed talk about all of his days as a pastor and what God had done in those days and how God had been faithful to his church and how God had moved. And that honestly was better than anything I ever learned there, just hearing the stories of what God had done for the president of Trevecca Nazarene University. The other time was I got the opportunity to take a class with William Greathouse, who was one of the general superintendents, one of the kind of top guys of the church of the Nazarene a while back. And I loved hearing him tell stories about, he would tell us the story about how he wanted to be sanctified. He wanted to be in the middle of God's will. He wanted to be in love with God so much that he locked himself in his room when he was 15 years old and said, I'm not coming out until God gives me this. And he tells the story about how he spent hour after hour in his room, but God gave it to him. And hearing his story, hearing the story of this this great general superintendent, who is this older guy from an older generation when things were different, hearing the story of how God changed his life was very impactful to me. We have to share the stories of how God is moving in our lives if we want to train the next generation. They need to know what God has done. The second thing is this. We need to teach the word. We need to teach the word. How much time are you spending with the next generation teaching God's word? Our next generation has to know what God's word says so that they can know how to to handle this changing world around them. I think sometimes that we think that teaching the word is the job of the pastor or the connections leaders or the, the the, the leaders of the church. And I just want to say this, teaching the word of God to future generations is the job of all of us. It's the job of the parents. It's the job of grandparents. It's your job to teach the kids of the church the word of God. And so I want to challenge you to spend time 
teaching the kids God's word. This, this would have been easier if you hadn't come tonight, Bob. But most of you know that, that mom's been battling cancer. And our family's been going through a difficult time. But one of the most amazing things that I've seen through this battle that my mom has had is the way that God's word is carrying her through it. When she's thinking about things, she's writing things about scripture. She's telling us scriptures about how God is faithful to her. And even in the most difficult times of life, my mom, scriptures are just pouring out of her. She's teaching God's word. And I'm 35 years old. I'm not a little kid anymore. But can I tell you that I've noticed? I've noticed it that I'm learning. And that her opportunity to live out the word of God and her opportunity, even in the face of the most difficult times of life, her opportunity to teach scripture has been huge in my life. We have to teach scriptures to the younger generations. They will notice. The third thing is this. We have to train them. And, and this is an interest, interesting one because it's easy to tell stories. And, and teaching scripture is a habit. And reading scripture is a habit. But we have to come alongside the younger generations to train them to be who God called them to be. And if we're honest, this might be one of the most uncomfortable places for us to be, especially if you're older and you've been through, you, you look at these generations and you just think they're so much different. It's an uncomfortable thing to get out of your comfort zone and come alongside someone and, and be in a place that you're not used to. But we have to come alongside the younger generations and train them. We have to minister together with them. We have to be stretched. And, and so I talked about baseball and, and my kids. And, and one of the things that, that my kids love is Minecraft, like I said. And, and that's fine. It's an it's a iPad game. And what they do is there's these little blocks. And they go build these, these different things with the blocks. And so a lot of times I'll say, Eli, hey, you want to go outside and play baseball? And Eli will say, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play Minecraft right now. And he'll say, you want to play Minecraft with me? And I'm like, it's not really like a, it's not like a game where we're interacting or playing each other. It's just like we're both on there and we're building our own thing. But, but so it, usually I'm like, well, it's not really something I know how to do or I, I want to do. But, but a couple weeks ago, actually it was when we were down in Tennessee, I took the time and I said, yeah, let's sit down and let's play Minecraft together. And so I, start, I sat next to him on my iPad while he sat on his little Kindle or whatever he was playing on. And we were playing a game that I had never played before. And he's teaching me how to do different things. And I was uncomfortable in that place. But that little time of an hour spent with my son doing something that I had no clue what I was doing, getting outside of my comfort zone, was such a great time to me. It was such an opportunity for me to, to invest in him, and it was such an opportunity for me to learn and come alongside him. And listen, I can sit around, and I can bemoan, and I can complain all I want about the fact that my kids aren't playing baseball. 
And I can skip out on the things that they want to do, and I can cry about it, and I could say, but I want you to be in sports, and I think it's important, and, and maybe they will, and maybe they won't. But if I don't come alongside my kids where they're at, with what they're going through, if I don't find opportunities to teach them and hang out with them and learn with them, if I don't do it, guess what? Somebody will. If I don't take the time to invest in my kids and train them, somebody else will. And that's an alternative that I am not okay with as a father. And as the church, we're in the same place. We can look at future generations and we can think that they're crazy and we can think that they're different and we can be ignorant of, of the changes and we can resist the changes and we can look at all the ways they're different and they're wrong. And, and, and listen, there could be ways that could be better. We might be right about some of those things. But if we refuse to come alongside them and to get our hands dirty and to minister alongside them and to understand who they are and where they are and to get into this changing culture, then they're going to learn somewhere else. And we cannot be okay with that alternative. We cannot be okay with our children learning about other things from other people without us telling them who God is. And so we have to invest our time in training our kids. And the fourth thing is this, we need to unleash them. This is the best part, because our kids, no matter how different than us they are, or, or, or how different than, than us, than what we were that they are, no matter what is surrounding them, I want to tell you something really cool. As a young adult pastor and as a father of four boys, our young people are incredible. Eli is a, is a different kid. I don't understand why he doesn't want to play sports, but if I could show you the things that Eli does, it's incredible. He creates PowerPoints, and on his little Minecraft game, he's created these huge hotels with all these different... I mean, Eli is this incredibly thoughtful, caring, loving kid, and he's different than I was, but he's amazing. And I've spent over eight years now ministering to our young adults... And they're different than I was, but they're incredible. They have unique skills and unique things that they bring to the table, and they are awesome. And, and, and part of seeing them grow up and part of investing in them and training them is to allow them to take some leadership. And, and so I found this quote. This is from Craig Groeschel, who's a, a big megachurch pastor that likes to yell at people, and he's, he's really strong and cool looking. He says this, if you delegate tasks, you will raise up doers. But if you delegate authority, you will raise up leaders. And so tomorrow morning, if you come to church, you're going to see our kids put a musical on for you. And you can look at that as our kids just getting up and being cute and, and going through the motions. Or you can understand that we are investing in our kids, we're teaching them, we're sharing the stories, we're training them, and tomorrow they have the opportunity to take leadership and preach God's word to us through a drama, through what they've worked on for so long. 
And so the fourth thing we have to do is we have to unleash the future generations. We have to tell them what God has done. We have to teach them who God is. We have to teach God's word to them. We have to come alongside and and get dirty and learn and get in their culture and understand them and train them. And then we have to unleash them and give them opportunity to lead and to serve. Because like I said, our young people are amazing and God made them amazing. In Mark chapter 10, we see the importance of the next generation to Jesus. It says this, they were bringing children to Jesus, to him, that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. Why do you think the disciples rebuked the people bringing the children to Jesus? Because those are just kids, right? They don't matter. We've got bigger things to deal with. They're just kids. Just get them out of the way so we can go change the world. It says this, but when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Here's the thing. Jesus knew that our kids and our future generations were important. Jesus knew that the family business is not going to be thriving unless our kids grow up to follow God. And so if our family business is going to be what God calls it to be, If we're going to be who God calls us to be as Westchester Nazarene, as the church, as the kingdom, we can't ignore the future generations. We have to invest. We have to share. We have to teach. We have to train. And we have to unleash the future generations. Let's pray. Father, we come before you tonight, and and this isn't um, the typical message that I would usually preach, but Lord, I I feel so strongly that we have to invest in our kids. And as a father of four, I want my kids to grow up knowing you. And as a pastor in a church, I want our church to have strong, passionate kids that are following you. And I want the future of our church to be bright because our children are our future leaders. And so, Lord, I pray that, that over this series of the family business, I pray that you would challenge us. I pray that you would call us to a deeper relationship with you. I pray that you would call us to invest our time in our kids. I pray that you would call us to build your kingdom through them. Lord, we love you tonight. We thank you for everything you've done for us. And we pray that you would, you would help us to know how to share your love and your word with future generations. We love you, Lord, in thy name. Amen.